first time in my adult lifetime, I'm really proud of my country. And not just because Barack has done well, but because I think people are hungry for change. I mean, when was the last time we've seen a presidential candidate who could claim victories in states like Idaho and Missouri and Washington and Louisiana and Georgia and Maine and Hawaii? We haven't seen that before in a while. So I am proud of this country. And I'm proud of my husband. But we've learned a lot this year. We've learned that when the bar is set, sometimes it moves on you. Right when you get there. <laughs> it moves. And the irony of it is that that's what's been happening to most Americans. The quickest way to get the side eye from a black woman is to say something bad about First Lady Michelle Obama. She is arguably the most beloved black woman alive today. It's not a bold statement to say that she is the personification of black motherhood, sisterhood, and womanhood. That good, good, good hood. Michelle was initially Obama's mentor. Smart, intelligent, Princeton and Harvard educated, athletic, long, lean, and confident. Articulate, driven, and charismatic, she could have had any successful man in Chicago and yet, she chose him. And they built a partnership, a family, a life. The Obama team is just as much, if not more, Michelle as it is Barack. She legitimized him with black people in particular and the rest of America in general. And in turn, he made her the nation's only black first lady. See, together they continually level up and make one another. They are not about short-term money or materialism, and they never bought into anti-black man and anti-black woman rhetoric. Instead, they look towards one another. They have and continue to achieve great things together. This is why brothers say, they want them a Michelle, and sisters say they want them a Barack. But are either of them ready to do that thing Obama style? So today, I'm trying to do this like America's 44th first family. I got my wife on the podcast with me. Sam Bosi is in the building. We are going to discuss American Girl, chapter two of We Were Eight Years in Power, an American Tragedy. And by the way, happy belated birthday, First Lady. Her birthday was yesterday, January 17th, another Capricorn. Oh well, nobody's perfect. Today's episode is titled Shea Butter and Edges, an Ode to a Sister. Thoughts on Chapter 2. Hey, hey, good people. Thanks for tuning in. This is Book Report. 
the Crazy 8 podcast series. I'm your host, Leonard Major. I'm here with my lovely wife, Sampa, a.k.a. Sam, a.k.a. Sam Bosey Major. She's in the building. Hey, baby. Oh, that's not necessary, but hey, baby. <laughs> a little extra? A lot extra. <laughs> we, well, you know how we do it. Um, no, how you do it. How I do it. Okay, okay, fair enough, fair enough. So, book report, the opinions and ideas in book report are no way associated with the author or the publisher. I simply read the book, like the book, want to support the work of the author, and this is my contribution in doing that. That said, this segment, really short, really quick, to the point, I would be remiss if I did not talk about Chicago, Illinois, as foundational to the success, rise, and character of Michelle Obama. She is synonymous with Chicago's South Side. This chapter talks about American Girl and talks about Chicago's influence on her life. And rather than me talk about Chicago, which would be a really short conversation, and I can tell you Uh, Based on all my friends from Chicago, they don't want you talking about Chicago if you don't know Chicago. I mean, just ask Vic Mensa. um, What's that DJ he was about to slap down? I can't think of that DJ's name, but he basically didn't want anybody bashing his city. And I don't blame him. Uh, Chicago's a first-class city. I love hanging out there. Um, I remember when our daughter was playing basketball and they had the MLK classic, which is which the, the timing of this is, <coughs> the timing of this is really crazy because today is MLK's um, the MLK holiday, and I remember maybe about seven years ago we went to Whitney Young to watch our daughter play in the tournament, and Whitney Young was like really big on the radar for all of us because that was the high school Michelle Obama went to. And it was kind of cool going there and seeing how huge that high school was and looking at the side of town it was on with all the brownstones. Well, anyway, I want to read from the chapter. I think the chapter does does it justice. And I think I would just mess it up. So, quote, the essential Americanness of Michelle Obama is rooted in her home, the south side of Chicago. What I originally knew of the South Side, I had gleaned from my college years at Howard University. It was the mid-90s, and all of us sported some measure of black pride, be it Afrocentric or ghetto-centric. Often, it was a mix of the two. But the South Side kids didn't boast about rep or whose hood was harder. They did not make a scene like the dudes from New York. Instead, they played the Southside rapper Commons resurrection until the CD skipped and walked around campus with their chins in the air as if they knew something we didn't. The girls from Chicago were intoxicating. Maybe it was the cadences of the South that still clung to their words or their appreciation for Sam Cooke and Al Green. Ten years ago, I chose my partner from among that lot. Though she spurned her hometown and the South Side particularly as a cradle of bougie Negroes, 
her ties to that magical city still pulled me in, end quote. So I wanted to read that, and then I wanted to read another paragraph, another two paragraphs, actually. Quote, the South Side's sheer mass and its shifting character astonished me. Bungalows would give way to mansions, mansions to burned out lots, and at every gas station, panhandlers waited in search of change. I asked Black if he or his brethren thought of the South Side as a ghetto and he shook his head, noting that it had always been filled with people like him and his parents, people who worked. Like its New York counterparts, Harlem and Manhattan, Jamaica and Queens, and Bedford Stuyvesant in Brooklyn, the South Side is a black island in a mostly white city. But if the South Side were an island, it would be huge. Unlike Harlem, the South Side isn't one neighborhood but a collection of smaller neighborhoods covering 60% of the city. All told, the sprawling South Side is arguably the country's largest black enclave, end quote. I think those two sections do this episode a tremendous amount of justice and provide a tremendous amount of context it explains how a woman coming from a predominantly black part of town had the confidence and the poise and the grit to endure the challenges of being America's first black first lady. What do you think of that? Well said. Well said. <laughs> okay. Um, and with that said, like I said, I love Chicago. I love going there. We went there last year, went to Navy Pier. Uh, we hung out through downtown Chicago. We got to see where they filmed. Chicago's parts. a great place. Even going in my younger years, going to party there, the clubs, the click, Halstead. Um, just the streets rolling there. It's, it was a great party town growing up in my young 20s. I mean, it's always been the spot. Remember the click? Heck yeah, the click. Halstead. I mean, Chicago's always been that place. So, good, bad, the ugly. It's it's always been that place. Yeah, and the only thing I would I would ask for people coming from anywhere and moving here to Milwaukee is don't sleep on our city either. I would say don't bring the bad parts of your locale to our city. Bring the best. Bring your best selves. We can use that. It frustrates me, especially for Chicago people, especially for people coming from Gary, who come to our city, dump on our city, and act like this is the worst place to be ever, because then it begs the question, what are you doing here? If you don't like it, you can always get back on 94 and go back to whence you came or back from whence you came. I don't know how, you know what I mean. Anyway, um, there's so many wonderful things that Chicago has to offer. So many things that Chicagoans bring. Cats like uh, Quabana and Tom Nixon. I mean, with the spoken word, with his, with his drive, with his grind. Um, it's just so much. Uh, Chicago bopping. Um, 
what is it, uh, jit, jitting, when they jit, mm-hmm. you know, like, there's a lot, uh, they, they bring a grit, they bring a drive, they bring a hustle, um, even got me loving house music, so anyway, that said, I don't like house music, but okay, <laughs> yeah, but also, like, at the end of the night, no matter what they're playing, they will throw some oldies in there, and, and they will ride with that, um, it's just, it's just live, yeah, I mean, I- Chicago's always been the first. That's the first place I've seen a drive-up liquor store. Yeah. <laughs> That's the first place I've seen a drive-up funeral home. Yeah. I mean, you bound to see some some weird stuff. Right. In Shyland first. So, you know, I give them their props, you know. Chicago's one of those cities, so. And it's obvious that they make some great people. Obama's, you know, they make some great people, so you give them the props where props are due. But like he said, don't sleep on Milwaukee. Milwaukee has some great historical places here that um, we sleep on, that Milwaukee really need to open their eyes on and get out and partake in and see what we have to offer because we have a lot to offer here too. There you go, especially when we win this championship this year. All right. That said, we're going to a commercial break. And I'm talking about the Bucks, y'all. Go oh, Bucks! Packers is dead. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we, yeah. Ouch. <laughs> All right. Peace. Okay, y'all. We are back. <laughs> Got my wife and I. Uh, ran into a few technical difficulties, man. This is not... I, I just like content and like to deal with the show. All the technical mumbo jumbo, I'm that ain't my thing. So I'm sorry if any of the any of the voice quality doesn't doesn't work. Um, but anyway, I'm here with my baby. Um, we are doing episode two, titled "Shea Butter and Edges: An Ode to a Sister." And I have my sister, my Michelle, my first lady in the house with me, Sam Bosey. Hey, baby. Hi, Leonard. <laughs> <laughs> so, what does Michelle Obama mean to you? Michelle Obama. Uh, she means elegance, class, swag, sophistication. Every woman, she is every woman rolling one. Um, she walks with dignity, with power. She is what I feel every woman should strive to be. In life, we don't like every choice and every decision that every person makes. But overall, her as a person, um, I truly like her. Uh, And so, Michelle Obama is the bomb to me. So, I can remember... During the campaign, 
when she would come out and she would talk that my female coworkers would almost be in tears. And I remember how you would watch her and her daughters and her mother. And that's when it became clear to me that this was something else. Um, For the fellas, we were just like, you know, a lot of us didn't think he would be president. We didn't think he had a chance, but we knew that we owed it to ourselves to vote for someone who was legitimate and who could offer the opportunity of hope and change. I believe it was the same way for the black women. I knew, but I also feel that there was something different. It was on a whole nother level. You all identified with that woman in a way that I have never seen anyone identify with a political candidate. She represented a black woman to another level on family. When you seen her with her mother and that represented something that You know how I feel about my mom. Yeah, yeah, most definitely. (laughs) You know, so, and to see her up there with her mama. Yeah. You know, that's how I'm rolling with mine. Let me tell y'all, let me tell y'all. When we first started dating, we first started dating, we would go out, I would take her, like, okay, I didn't have a lot of money back then. I still ain't got a lot of money, but, you know, I'm doing better than I was doing back then. So I would take her to Red Lobster, and I thought, like, Red Lobster, that was a big deal for me. And I remember going to Red Lobster and going with her and we're towards the end of the date and all of a sudden she says, uh, I think my mother would like this 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 entree and so uh, I, I want to get this and take this home for my mother. You okay with me buying this for my mother? And in my mind I'm thinking, hell no. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, unless when, when we get back, <laughs> Unless when we get back, I'm dating you and your mom. But it, it, it was just like that the bond that they had and they have reminded me of Michelle Obama. And that's city. what I see when I seen her. Yeah. So that when I see her, that's what I truly, truly identified with. So that's what brought tears to my eyes when I see her and her mom. That's what it represented. Me. Yeah, yeah. That's and so that's what I grab hold to. Yeah. And so that was the connection for me with her. Oh yeah. I mean you're at the nation's highest office. You your man has the 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 nuclear codes, right? You are the leaders of the free world. And you could have and do anything you want. You have just power from one of the most powerful empires ever known to, to humankind and you're like damn all that where's my mama somebody gotta help me with these babies <laughs> if that ain't a black woman <laughs> you know what I'm saying mama 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 the fact that she held, she represented family. She held her family down 
So not just representing family, she held her family down. You know, that was powerful, powerful, powerful to me. Yeah. You know, um, and then she held her man down. Yes. You know, she was behind Barack. You know, she let it be known that she loved her man and she stood by him. And she showed those emotions that we as women show. People want to identify that as a black woman. And we're being, we're, we're, we're angry or we, we're, you know, showing all this aggression and all this behind this and that because we, you're looking or you're doing this or that to our man. No. You know, if you see the memes and all this and that, that they show with Michelle about uh, uh, Barack. Those are truly women memes. Yeah. Okay? And those are truly affections that she has for her man. Yeah. And I like how she stood by her. I like how she stands by her man. Yeah, she also perfected the uh, floaters side eye. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> she give you one in a minute. Right, right. Like, right. like you're getting a little too comfy okay. with old girl and over you there. you better move around. Right. Because <clears throat> we had to have, hate, hate to have the police call okay. to the White and, House. <laughs> and she, and, and I would love to be a fly in some of those rooms. I'm sure she checked plenty of them. Right. You know, on the low, low. But... You know, I, and I love the class and how she's kept it together. I haven't, you know, <laughs> on some occasions. But, you know, she's represented how I would love and should carry myself at all times. So, is, so is she a standard bearer for black women now? Should be. Okay. So she, she's made it to that, to that level to where women want to emulate her where women want us like I've seen the hashtags about relationship goals uh, I can remember when she would wear certain clothes they would be a lot of off the rack clothes that would be affordable for American Americans um, that's the way she would dress her children uh, so much so that she made big news when she wore that expensive gown um, but she's also brought a lot of, of like cutting edge thinking and kind of, kind of reimagine the way um, the White House would would function with a first lady um, in her role. Um, a lot of what what she did for like for the for the troops, you know, military families, her healthy eating initiatives, which I'm not really feeling as far as the school lunches. Yeah. I didn't really like that part. I mean, I when like I that one yeah, when I think about inner city children, and I think about the fact that that they do deal with food insecurity uh, and the last thing they want to eat is some damn hickama sticks mm-hmm. some raw potatoes <laughs> or something like that right right so that that was that was a fumble but um you know live and learn um i, I understand that you want want the communities to be more healthy but, but she's still pushing and she's still doing right you know and that's what i love about michelle levine obama yeah she's that chick yeah. She's that diva. She's that woman. She's that woman yeah. that we should all strive to be. Most definitely. So when we come back, when we come back from break, uh, I want to talk about Michelle Obama as standard bearer in terms of um, 
womanhood in terms of um, being a partner. I want to see or get your thoughts on the disconnect between who she is. Not even a disconnect. That's that came out wrong. But there's a. I think there's a disconnect between women in general and black women in particular when they look at her and they say they admire her and they want to model aspects of themselves um, on on how she conducts her business but yet there's this gap between how she's doing it and how they think they're doing it and I want to get your 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 views and your 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 response on that what do you think about that Okay. All right. Thank you for doing the show with me, baby. Um, you're welcome. All right. <laughs> Is marriage for white people? Hmm. That's the question being asked by an author of a new book. Is marriage for white people how the African-American marriage decline affects everyone? It's got a lot of people talking right now. Stanford law professor... Ralph Richard Banks says it's time for black women to, this is a quote, give up the good fight on marrying a black man. Here he is. The way I think of that is that women have been asked to carry a great load. Uh, black women shoulder a lot of the burden, in short, of black men's struggles. And I am asking women to put the burden down. Uh, many women think that they're attracted to black men. They are attracted to black men. But attraction itself is complicated. And one of the things that I discovered in the course of writing this book is that there's a whole host of fears and desires and anxieties that animate black women's attraction to black men. Hmm. Okay, Banks recently wrote an article in the Wall Street Journal and said that 70% of black women aren't married. That, that's roughly true. Okay, so is it time for single, educated, and uh, working black women to just forget the notion of marrying a black man and, and look outside their race? A new Gallup poll shows more and more people are receptive to the idea of interracial marriage. In 1968, the numbers were quite low for whites approving of interracial marriage. This is a Gallup poll from USA Today. But today, those numbers skyrocketed for both blacks and whites. So does the author have a point? Is a black marriage nearly obsolete? Is the idea just for white people? Have a black couple here who says, uh, hello, I'm right here. Joining us more to talk about this is Lamar and Ronnie Tyler, bloggers for Black and Married with Kids. All right, Tylers, I guess my first question is, what is your reaction to what you have just heard? A lot of people have been talking about this. Um, I just think the book is dangerous, and it's sending a dangerous message. Dangerous? Uh, yes. Okay. I, I, I definitely think it is just perpetuating all of the negative stereotypes that are out there. Mm -hmm. And now is the time for black people to come together and to work together, not to look outside of our community um, for the answers. Dangerous how so? And, I'm, I, and I want you to answer sure. this because he seems to be putting a lot a lot of negative negativity out there on black men. Sure. Well, you know, I think what he's done is created a perfect mechanism to sell books, but not so much to help African-American women. All right. Um, and I think, you know, that's he, he's portraying this like this is a, uh, some type of help tool for them, but not at all. I think any time when you say that one entire group of people, specifically based on race, is bad and another group is good, then it doesn't make any sense at all. It's not helping anybody. Instead, the conversation should be, if, if there are problems in the African-American community, how can we uplift the community? What can we do to show them that marriage is positive, to show them that, that parenting is positive and where it's at? Instead of, you know, making notions like these that basically just get you on TV, in the media all the time and allow you to sell.
sell books. Well, because it, some of the numbers that he put out there are, are true. Um, it, it, a white woman is twice as likely to get married as a black woman. Some of what he is saying is true is what you take exception to, what you say are solutions that aren't actually solutions. Is that what you're saying? Exactly. Solutions that are not actually solutions. So if it's true, let's get down to why it's true mm -hmm. and, and bring forth real solutions for the black community. Okay. Yeah, you know, and I think, um, you know, interracial dating is fine. I think who you fall in love with is who you fall in love with. But again, you know, when you say this group of people in this particular instance, which is black men, are bad and you shouldn't be with them. And I think the craziest thing about all of this is the fact that he's married to a black woman. Mm -hmm. So what if she took his own advice? They wouldn't be married now. So what you're saying is, okay, let me make sure I'm clear. He's saying look outside of your race because there's a problem with your race as opposed to just be with whoever you choose to be with regardless of what their race is. Is, is that what you're saying? Yeah, it's this two-part thing. It's okay. Part of it is that, and part of it is this thing about the black man being so bad, just perpetuate, okay. perpetuating um, these continual stereotypes that we've had now for generations and generations. And the problem becomes when you have people in communities that don't see marriage every day, that mm -hmm. don't see those positive images of marriage portrayed, they start to believe things like this. When they see books and they see movies and they see different things, some of the marriages for white people, they start to actually get that into their conscience, and then it, that passes down from generation to generation. Because there are plenty of positive images of, of black marriages out there. I mean, we've got the Obama's, I mean. All right, good people, we are back. This is the final segment. This is the home stretch. I still have my wife in the building, Sam hey, Bosey. Hey. hey, love you, boo. Hey. <laughs> I am glad to be able to do this. Like I said, when do people have the opportunity? to record something with their significant other that they can look back on as a keepsake. I hope that we are encouraging you to read the book, to read the chapters, to think about the chapters in a new way. We hope that we are prompting new thoughts or uh, giving reassurance to the thoughts that you already have. We hope you're having a good time listening in with us. And I definitely want you to tune in to the next episode, chapter three, of the Crazy 8 podcast series titled 1865, a review of Tahanazi Coates' We Were Eight Years in Power and American Tragedy. His chapter, chapter three, is titled Why Do So Few Blacks Study the Civil War? The reason I'm titling this 1865 is because for black America, this was the penultimate year. This was that watershed moment for black America and for America. It was the time period in which we decided who black people would become in this country. The past could have been left behind as painful, as horrible as it was, and a new future recast, redefined, a new path set. In some ways it was, in a lot of ways it wasn't. And we are still reeling and trying to understand the effects of those times. So tune in. Be sure to email your comments. Be sure to leave voicemail messages on the Anchor app. I would love to hear what your thoughts are, what your, what your opinions are. I would love for suggestions for, for upcoming episodes. I want to make sure you're tuned in, locked in. Please share this with as many people as possible. 
We do not have enough listeners. Y'all hurting my feelings. Yes, please. Because I'm because I'm coming off like a bear. My wife is tired of me complaining and talking about y'all. I didn't want to say that. Y'all hurt my ears. Especially from my friends and my family. Play the damn podcast, even if you don't like it. Turn I would, it off, turn it off. Yeah, can you imagine how many times I've bought your your funky fundraising items? How many times I've went and I've supported events where I didn't want to go, where I didn't want to spend my money, especially after I pay all my bills and I have my disposable income left over, and one of you sorry-faced, puppy-eyed people come up to me and say, my baby is doing a fundraiser trying to go to fill in the blank. And this should have been at the beginning. <laughs> yeah, I should have twisted y'all damn arms then. <laughs> but I'm saying, like, look out for a brother. Like, turn me on to some people who listen to podcasts or who read books. You ain't got to like it. You think I like everything y'all do? Get me the people who want to hear me. That's what Facebook is for. A lot of y'all got 3,000 friends or higher, man. Some, some. I only got 500 Facebook friends, right? I know you got people out there with way more, man. Lock them in. Anyway, I digress. Usa. Usa. So, in the prior clip, we heard a Stanford professor, Ralph Richard Banks. And the segment was a CNN segment where the interviewer asked, is marriage for white people? So baby, we've been married for 19 years. That's on paper. I've been with him for 26, 26, 27. What is it? Something like that, 26, No, it's not just for white people. Marriage is for Anyone who wants it. Okay. Okay. Um, it's for who wants it. It's not for everyone. It's what you put in is what you get out. You know, and to hear that brother on there say that many women think that that they are attracted to black men, but they're, but they're not. <laughs> I mean, I was appalled. To hear that brother say that, and I'm attracted to a brother, and I've always been attracted to black men, Um, and the only thing I can think of, excuse me, is that he's married to a white woman. No, they say he's married to a black woman. I don't believe it. I need to see that. Um... Because she don't think he black. <laughs> and that's why she married him. I mean, marriage marriage is a beautiful thing. And marriage has no color. Love has no color. Um, and it's embraced and it should be... Um, embraced by two people... Who love one another. Absolutely. And so love should not have um, a color yeah. bearing over it at all. I agree. You know, so that's my partake on that. 
Um, I'm going to leave that. You know, people can dive into that as more as they want to, but that's where my cap goes. Yeah. You know, um, but it's not for a black person or a white person. Yeah, and I think I think what he did was 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 the foul thing that happens in this country far too often. I think that dude is trying to figure out how to get ahead, and he's, ahead of what in, in, in his career. And, and, what career? Like his career as a professor. I think he might be trying to trying to find a way to get some attention to his work because he does what what a lot of people do, which is pervert love and and pervert. Um, what are you teaching? What is that? What kind of class are you teaching? Uh, well, teaching that? well, well, he, he wrote his book, and I guess his book was 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 designed to provoke, and and, and, and provoking. I was well, that for the. I mean, I'm I'm not a racist or anything to that form fashion at all. I mean, but what else could you be pr- pr- be promoting in that kind of segment? Is marriage for white people? I mean, that has to be some kind of division there. Right. but and That's and, the only thing I get from that. And that's my problem with what he's doing because here's the thing. Like, we've got friends who who are, are married to people from other races. Yeah. And so, I have it in my family. Right. And I that, have biracial cousins. Right. So it's, it's a thing of love is love. You know what I mean? And it doesn't make you less white. It doesn't make you less black. It, oh. it makes you love somebody because you love their characteristics. Right? And so... I have biracial first cousins. Right. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. So, 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 for this guy to come in and and to say this, it's kind of like saying, like eliminate black men from from the selection process because they're somehow all defective, and that is as racist as you can get. Now, are there a lot of black men who have issues out here? Absolutely, absolutely. Are there a lot of men who have issues out here? Absolutely. And there you go. Absolutely. There you go. Speak on that. Okay, so to sit there and just and to just sit there and categorize and to break down one gender, I think is unfair. Yeah. You know, so he's black. He sees what goes on in his gender. That's fair to speak on that. He's not white. He can't speak on that. So get me a white person that can speak on what goes on within their gender because they can't speak on what goes on in mine. Yeah, and see, that's what I got out of here. I got almost like he was running up to black women with the clarion call and saying, you know, time to give up on black men, time to move on. And I think that the reason that I, that I brought the clip in is because when I think about Michelle Obama and I think about black women saying that they that they admire her and that they want a Barack and I hear black men say you know um, they want a Michelle I, I see an opportunity because there, there's, a, there's a gap here there, there, there's so Michelle Obama has the education you know she has the income um, she has the power she has the access at the same time, she knew when to support. She knew when to take the lead role. Up until Obama became a senator, and I think even after she was making all the money, she was like a hospital administrator. I would say she was anywhere from 
three to four hundred thousand dollars a year. You know, yeah. Chicago easy. Yeah. So it's one of those things of having money and realizing that money isn't the be all and end all. It's 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 a resource, and when you're trying to build a union, that that resource is helpful. Just like you and I, like yeah. there were times when you made way more money than me, yeah. and you had the car and I was on the bus, yeah. working second shift, going to school, going to school full time, working full time, trying not to be a scrub, yeah. but but you know, trying to make it happen, catching the bus, getting home after but midnight. I seen the potential, <laughs> see? and now look where we are. Right. So <laughs> it's, it's that thing of it, it, it's twenty plus years later. Yeah, and so like you and I were talking earlier. And I'm of this mindset. You inspect what you expect, you know, and you have to have expectations that you're willing to stand behind. Now, what did you say earlier? Because I I look at Steve Harvey's book about Think Like a Man. And, and the main thing he drives home is, you know, wait 90 days. Get to know this man. Get this man to know you and appreciate you, right? Don't give him the cookie. And yet, I'm seeing so many women who, like, they manipulate that 90-day rule to the point of it not even being a rule, and they jump in too quick with these men, and they ignore all these signs. And then, after everything comes crashing down, you know, they put it on dudes. Yeah, it can go both ways. It's kind of challenging because uh, you have one guy and he has his pick because he has seven girls. So it's one guy to every seven girls. And so what this one girl won't do, he pushes to the side. He has six more that will so it's it's challenging and I'm thankful I'm not out there um, and having to deal with that but it's one of those things where you know it's they how do I put it it's it's um They have to, um... Settle? No, they don't have to. They feel like they have to. They don't want to be by themselves. And so they they go and they put up with this because they don't want to be by themselves. And the guys, they go and they, they run these lines on them, making them think that they are the ones and they believe it. But they they fall for it um, because the guys they have all the pickings out here. But wait a minute, wait a minute. If they have all the pickings, see, like like you gave a number, like one to seven, yeah. and I don't know if that's an actual number. Like we we haven't we haven't looked at the stats, but I'm saying it's it's a high ratio. So if it's a high ratio, and all of the women start to hold firm and say, you know, I'm going to lead myself and my actions based on. What I, what I think to be right, what I know to be right, before I give myself emotionally over to a man. If they began to do that, and out of that seven, six were off limits, that would leave dudes to just jump down on the last one. 
right? Because they would know that all other Please, avenues. Please, you know it's going to be more than six that won't do it. Because they so young and, and their minds nowadays, are being, they're not being raised. And so, with them not being raised, they're being open and being acceptable to any and everything. And they have the wrong perception of love. They have the wrong perception of respect. They have the wrong perception of integrity. They have a, the wrong, res, wrong respect of morals and respect. You know, you stepping on my shoes is disrespect. You know, and the whole outlook of life for them is just off track and off center. So what about what about all the movies? Like you can't watch a Tyler Perry movie without black men being like thrown under the bus but at the end the black woman gets this wonderful you know uh, Superman and he sweeps off her feet and it has a happy ending you know um, I'm thinking of Shamar Moore with was that Shamar Moore or was that Boris Kojo well, I mean it's the same dude to me but anyway <laughs> they they both swept the women off their feet and, and, and you know danced off into the sunset and and, and you know, um, the end credits went down and all that. All I'm saying is that when you look at romance novels, when you look at romance movies, when you look at any movies that deal with black men, black women, or men and women at all, it's always this thing of the woman either being married or being or being valued and championed. You know, whereas when you look at the man in the movies, the man's fantasy is He's going to kick a bunch of ass and he's going to run off with the woman. You know, he's going to knock down at least one woman. James Bond. The man's the hero. The woman right. wants to love. Right. So, so let me, so this is why I bring this up because at the end of the day, in real life, the man fantasies are playing out in real life and the woman's fantasy doesn't seem to be playing out. So that's where I think we bring Michelle Obama back into, into the picture because it's a question of, well, what would Michelle do? Well, it won't work like that because I don't think black men, unfortunately, will accept that. That's the challenge. We, black women, accept Michelle Obama. I do not feel black men will accept and open up to Michelle Obama in that same manner and way. But why aren't you all listening? Or not why aren't you all, but why aren't black women listening to Michelle? Because Michelle says, find your voice. She tells black men to listen to their daughters and to listen to women. Now, ah, you, now, you didn't just listen to me. You just closed the door. You didn't answer that question. Well, I, I mean, because... I'm, I'm sidestepping it. You at, sure did. At the same time, I'm looking at Y'all it. heard that? I heard that. <laughs> I'm looking at the fact. I heard that. You heard that. Good, good. But, I, but I'm, I'm, I'm saying when it comes to black men, we only will do what you allow us to do. I totally agree with that. You know, 19 years ago, you said to me, look, I'm not going to be a girlfriend forever. Mm-hmm. Right? So if this is if, if you want to be with me, you darn skippy. Right. And remember when we when we moved in to to that rental, 
You on 69? Exactly. I stayed there for a good what? Month and about a month and a half. Exactly. No, not quite a month. Right. Because yeah. we, we, we got married. Mm-hmm. Right? You said you mm-hmm. weren't stepping foot in that house. Or I taking... wasn't spending the night there at that house because I did step foot in there. Right. Well, but right, I didn't yeah, spend the night there until we were married. Yeah. You know? Yes. So that was the thing. Like, if you had said to me that, you know, marriage ain't no big thing for me. It's just a piece of paper. I don't need. I don't need these white folks telling us how we're supposed to live our lives. I'd have been like, yeah, I, I, me neither. Um, <laughs> and we'd have just been boyfriend and girlfriend. We'd have had some common law nonsense. You know what I mean? It's not that I didn't love you. It's not that I don't love you. It's that in the community that I was a part of, I didn't really see married people. And, you know, I grew up in a single-parent household. Um, and I looked at the relationships that my mother had. Um, I knew that she had been married to my father, but I knew that that didn't work out. I looked at my friends, and they had the similar situations. There was not really many long-term um, married couples to, to look at as examples. Right? Even now, as you and I have been married just 19 years, we've got some people who... Y'all, it'll be 20 years and two months. <laughs> See what I'm saying? So... When we look around, we don't really see that. Strife and all. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, it's, it's a journey. Yes, it is. Right? We got the bruises to prove it. Yes, we, we, we do. You know, we've had some... And rough... the smiles. Yeah. See what I'm saying? Yes. So, um, which reminds me, before before we leave you all, I want to make sure that I promote Lamar and Ronnie Tyler's um, blog. It's titled BMWK. That's black and married with kids. Those were the two individuals that you heard at the start of the segment who had kind of put Ralph Richard Banks in his place. Um, You know, to to spread the idea that that man's ideas were toxic, uh, were quite bigoted, quite narrow-minded, and and not in line with the human experience of love, you know? So, I want to make sure Lamar and Ronnie Tyler's BMWK, Black and Married with Kids. This is for married couples, particularly with families who are African American. Um, in particular, I mean, I, you know, a lot of things might might be listed for Black people because of the things that we go through. But in that, there's a lot that people life issues. Yeah, and color has no boundary. Life and marriage has no color boundary. Right. We all deal with the same issues in marriage. Right. I think the only difference to me between black people and white people in America is that black people are discriminated against, are uh, doubted, discounted, and they're they're, they're groups who are actively standing in the way of their progress. That's right. If you remove that, then you're left with people who are just as stanky and funky as any other group of people. So, um, you know, that said, I did want to... I did want to mention a few things. I keep hitting this button and messing up here. And if that was me, he'd be in my phone. I sure would. I'd be all over. Um, I wanted to to talk about a few things that that should not be thrown by the wayside. Um, And I want to continue to put it in the context of what would Michelle Obama do, right? Um, I went on Essence's website, and they have a report. It's the report on um, 
It's the new report on black women reveals triumphs and challenges. And there were some startling discoveries that, that the report had, had produced. And I just wanted to grab a few snippets from that report. For instance, it says that more than 70% of black mothers are either the sole or primary breadwinners for their families, and another 14.7% are co-breadwinners, right? So I would put me and my wife in the 14.7% because my wife helps out with, with, with bills and expenses um, and has, you know, has been a great help to me. You know, this is my rib and we, I don't, I don't see how working class people can do this where the man does it all on his own, and, and if, if that's the case, and I'm just missing all that, show me. I mean, I do carry the lion's share of the bills, but I don't carry all of them, and it's just good to have a helpmate. Um, so another another um, finding was among black women working full-time, year-round workers earn only 61 cents for every dollar earned by white male workers, compared to 77 cents for white women, 85 cents for Asian American women and 53 cents for Latinas. The disparity can have lifetime effects. Black women stand to lose an estimated $946,120 over a 40-year career due to the wage gap. Um, here's here's one, one finding that I, I thought was like very impressive and my guy Marcus talks about all the time. It says, overall, Black women continue to excel in degree attainment. During the 2016-2017 academic year, black women earned 67% of all associate degrees earned by African Americans, 64% of all bachelor's degrees, 70% of all master's degrees, 68% of all research doctorates, and 65% of all professional practice doctorate degrees. Sisters are killing all right, it. Over fifty percent in all areas. Right, so it does leave room for the brothers to step it up, right? Ooh. I hate to say this. This let's make this a healthy competition, but a competition nonetheless. That said, here's something about sisters that they also have to take. You want to take the take the sweet? Let's 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 bring out the bitter. In 2013. The median wealth for single black women without a bachelor's degree was just $500 compared to $8,000 for white women without a bachelor's degree. Damn. So what that white white woman doing? So <laughs> I think it my guess is that it comes down to access. It comes down to giving someone a shot. Right and but, but but when we talk a about shot where though but when, I'm, I'm I'm trying. Well, here's the thing. This is this is this is twofold because we talk about the median wealth. So wealth is the difference between what you own and what you owe. Now, this is for all the sisters who are whipping out that plastic and going up to the coach oh, outlet. This is for the sisters who might make eighty thousand dollars a year but are still doing payday loans, who are still um, doing doing retail therapy. It's for the sisters who are at the clubs talking about how 
I N D E P E N T A R. What you know about me? <laughs> See, you know what? Blowing all their money, not buying assets, right? Not saving, not investing, not being prudent, not being thrift minded. You know, getting gassed up. I get you. Off the salaries that come from those damn degrees. So if at the end of the day, all you walk away with is $500 and your counterpart, or in this case, it says without a bachelor's degree. So that, that to me, that's even worse because that means that the, that the woman in question went out and did this without education, did this with just work experience, mm. did this with just grit, but didn't and save cry. a damn dime. Right. Right. So, so your Imagine. white, right. So your white counterpart is walking away with $7,500 more than you, which means that, that something's got to give. That means that you got to start cutting some people off. That means you got to start doing more than having a vision board. <laughs> you got to start really comparing your goals to your bank statements. Changing the vision board. You know, you have your vision board. You just change your vision board. Yeah. You know, um, so, uh, those are some aspects where I say, well, what would Michelle do? Because we, I, I think we, we all agree or the majority of us agree that she is a standard bearer. Um, she is a significant role model. And we don't know exactly how she would handle each and every situation, guys. So we're not really diving that deep into all of that. Um, We just know that she's a great standard. Um, A great um, start. Tell me what you think about this, though. A friend of mine was on a Facebook page the other day. So last week. He posted a comment. He said, watch how you talk to me because I don't need a place to stay. I don't need to drive your car. I'm not impressed by your money. Now, I'm paraphrasing him. But he was basically saying he has his own, right? And that's a big deal because I I watch and I listen to a lot of women who do have higher incomes, who do have education, right, who do have titles, who do have affluence and influence, you know, and yet sometimes they take the competition and the ego thing too far. You still should. You should have some self-respect and some integrity about yourself to not want to treat people in such a way. You know, treat people with some compassion. That's what we've lost in the world today. Have some compassion for one another. You know, there's no compassion for one another. And if you would just show that, have it, show it. That's what's up. Period. That's what's up. And that's the best last word. So, um, again, the views and opinions expressed on this podcast belong to us and are in no ways associated with the author or publisher's of the book We Were Eight Years in Power An American Tragedy written by Tahanazi Coates I want to thank you all for tuning in this episode went longer than normal um, and I relished every every minute of it I was happy that my wife 
It was my first podcast. It was my first podcast. And we did it. We did it. We tore it up. Um, I think, now I'm not good with sound quality and engineering. There was a little weird sound that uh, you heard a little bit earlier. That was a chair that was that was creaking where nobody pooping. So, oh, I'm <laughs> right? Sorry. right. So we want you to know we, 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 I'm nervous and I'm doing little things. And as I do them, Leon is like stopping them, stopping me and taking it out my hand and hitting me and moving me and all this. Cause I'm nervous, you know, so I can't just sit still. So yeah. sorry. You did great, baby. Thank Give you. me a kiss. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right, y'all. That's our time. Tune in to episode three. Peace out. Have a great week. 1865. 1865. And tomorrow is MLK Day. And I definitely have an MLK t-shirt I got from my barber. I'm going to rock it. Uh, Do what you want. Tuesday is his day. That's right. 47. Happy birthday, baby. Thank you, baby. Peace, y'all. There's so much warmth and love in, and realness and authenticity in that picture in the most powerful space on the planet. How did you maintain that connection to what was real? I mean, I'm assuming that the fact that everyone's gathered around there is proof of that. And how did you pass that on, the South Side values, to your children, your own children? Yeah, a lot of it was having our, you know, keeping our family close, mm-hmm. keeping our friends close. You know, Malia and Sasha lived, they, they, they didn't live anywhere, they, they lived in the White House longer than they lived anywhere, yeah, you know, and Barack and I had sort of, kind of, as we were moving out and yeah. thinking about where we would relocate, so Chicagoans, one of the reasons we're in D.C. is that that's where they grew up, you know, I mean, they didn't ask to be taken out of the South Side, they still identify as Chicagoans. They still, because you know how Chicago is. You know, your place, your neighborhood, you're from the South, you're from a side. Yeah. You're a South Side, a West Side, you're from 74th and Euclid, you're from whatever high school. It has a meaning now, that that we know, because that's where we grew up. Um, but our kids, you know, they, that was their, their reality. So we had to find a way to keep bringing that South Side into their lives, and that came in the form of mom leaving reluctantly for the time and living with us in the White House, thanks to my brother who had to convince her, because as I've said before, even though I'm the former First Lady, he's still the favorite. (laughs) True story. His mother's like, mm, Craig, where's Craig? I love Craig. Craig's so important. He's so wonderful. <laughs> like, yeah, 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 whatever, whatever. Facts. <laughs> we all love Craig. We love him so much. <laughs> so it was up to him to, like, you got to convince her to do this because I'm asking it. She's like, well, why would I want to live in the White House? Because that's also very South Side. You don't look, you don't want other people's stuff. You like your stuff, yeah. you know? It's like, why would I want to live in the White House? I, I like living on 74th and Euclid. 